Hello and welcome to This is a Token with Alex Monroe, the podcast that celebrates all things jewellery. I've spent half a lifetime designing and making jewellery, but what really interests me is what it means to other people. This is a podcast where we ask our guest about the jewellery they cherish most of all. We'll explore the moving, fascinating and often surprising stories connected to each piece and those emotional bonds that we just can't do without. My guest today is the journalist Rachel Taylor. In the jewellery industry, she's a regular feature, not just as a journalist, but as a host and a presenter, judging awards, copywriting, consulting and organising. Rachel has contributed to all sorts of publications, including the Financial Times, Condé Nast, Professional Jewellery and Watch Pro. And Rachel co-founded the Jewellery Cut, which is a brilliant platform which supports jewellery designers and showcases at London Fashion Week. There's lots more too, but she's a real insider expert, so I'm so excited to find out about her own personal jewellery and to see the pieces she's chosen to talk about today. And to cap it all, Rachel is in Brighton. So Connie and I are having a day out by the seaside and um, it just so happens that there's a massive storm raging outside, so the windows are all rattling, <laughs> but we'll get through it. So Rachel Taylor, jewellery journalist, thank you so much for being my guest today on This Is A Token. first ever issue of Professional Jeweler, actually. Yes, hi. When was that? <laughs> in 2010, I think, yeah. Because my first email, I went back. Oh, my. And, and you know, and, well, they're all there magically in yeah. all emails <laughs> on Google. I don't know how it works. Anyway, I put your name in, mm. and it was early 2009 was when we Yeah, I think that's when we would have done it. Correspondent. So that's before like, that, I used to work at Retail Jeweler magazine for a bit, for, say, like a year. Um, and then it was kind of just when magazines were all going down the pan. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I was there, had like a really sort of great year. It was back when we had loads of budget and hundreds of people worked for magazines and we all had parties all the time. And it was amazing. Uh, and then about a year into that, yeah, I got made redundant. Yeah. And this other publisher approached me and asked me if I wanted to set up a rival magazine, which obviously I did. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh-huh. That's an opportunity. Yeah, and then I wanted a really cool, big interview for the first edition that we were putting out. So you were my first choice. Wow. And you were really nice about it. No, but I, like, I thought you could have just said no, because obviously it was a, you know, a magazine that didn't exist and yeah. you had no idea what it was going to look like or what it was going I to be like. No I didn't get asked much. <laughs> but it was really nice and I came down and I think that's the first time I'd been to your workshop. Cool. You spent loads of time and it was really nice. Oh, thank you. Phew, thank God. <laughs> I was a little bit worried because we just watched that movie, a, what's it called, not a suitable young woman, <laughs> a promising young woman. Right? I think She's it's I think that. it's taken from a quote where a a guy who'd done something horrible was was prosecuted and the judge kind of said it's a pity because he was a promising young man. So I think it's some I think they twisted it and oh, made it ironic. But such a good film. So Emerald Fennell is Theo Fennell's daughter. Yeah. And I've met Theo Fennell a couple of times. I don't really know him. I think I sort of said hello or nodded or a couple of times. I'm probably in the same boat. But yeah. He's like a 
not a generation on, but he's a few years ahead of me, and he's he's like one of those brilliant, not Bond Streety, but you know, it's like more Bond yes, Street sort of. Yeah, really yeah. nice, absolutely fantastic. So we sort of know of each other, and so I wondered why the main character in that film and the complete and utter villain bastard, we won't give any plots away, but the most horrible, vile person mm. was called Alex Monroe. Because I've never... <laughs> I didn't even clock that. So do you... I don't think, I think it was just, because nobody that we know has clocked it, but it's just that bit where she's typing his name on Facebook or like whatever the Facebook equivalent is and it's Alexander Monroe. And no American films spell our name that way. Maybe Theo hates you. Well, exactly. So, so uh, that's why it's so nice that you said that I was nice to you because it's like maybe Emerald said to Theo, like, what's the name of a bastard? And then Theo went, so, uh, I got just the name for you, darling. Come to the villain, Alex Monroe. <laughs> I've never seen my name on a film before. And like, the first time it is, it's someone who I've kind of got a connection with. And it's the horrible villain bastard. So Yeah, there's just, there's some sort of secret one-sided feud you know nothing about. You slighted him once in an event. Or, uh, you know, he thinks <laughs> well, he, if I he did created something, B-neck. Yeah. yeah, you ripped him off. You know? I might have done something bad, but I, did, I certainly don't know about it. If I did. But thank you for saying that, that we had a good interview that first one. Because... Because that's like few. I'm really keen on when people like jewellery and when they want to kind of get into jewellery world, you're quite unique in the sense that I feel like you're our jewellery industry host and journalist. Yeah. How did you get from uh, kind of uni to being jewellery journalist hostess with the mostess sort of person? <laughs> I like his description. I'm going <laughs> to steal this and plagiarise it. <laughs> I was a creep, like I knew what I wanted to do. Not really? not jewellery, but in terms of journalism, which the older I get and the more people I speak to, I realise is quite rare. So when I was at school, I worked in the school newspaper. I'm going to be the, the school journal. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I was partway between one and two. Like, I loved writing, but I also come from a very practical family. Is that this was, kind um, of like Scottish work ethic? Come oh, yeah, on, you've got to, you know, Scottish, it's like, come on, do something sensible. You're going to have to graph to earn some money and... Yeah. yeah, I once I once described my job as creative because in my mind I think writing is yeah, even can't. even journalism you know it is quite creative and I once got laughed out of the room by my family for describing myself in that way. Well, they were like, Ooh, they were like who's a creative? What are you talking about? And I was like, well, me, like so I'm kind of a writer. And they were like, oh yeah, no, that didn't go down well. But um, and I always worked like I had a job from like 13. I was like really quite focused in terms of what I wanted to do. I um, applied to private school against my mother's wishes without her knowledge and faked her signature, <laughs> as the story goes, at 11. And, got a scholarship to go to this snazzy school um, yeah so I was kind of always sort of driven in that way sort of professionally went to uni and did journalism in Aberdeen as well so sort of stayed at home and did that there I was the editor of the uni news well, magazine as well and then I moved to London on a whim with a bunch of friends who were going with no job but magically landed a job working for a publisher called EMAP which is where yeah. Retail Jewelers published yeah. but I started out in a magazine called Retail Week which was brilliant like they had such a good team it was back when there was loads of budgets and it wasn't like particularly jewellery you wanted to go into it was no. just that the job came out yeah it was just kind of oh this would be interesting yeah, it was just sort of a next step and the job came up at Retail Jeweler, which was within the same group and somebody suggested I went for it and mm. I got it, which was great. But then, yeah, I was quite keen on sort of really going for it and going out and meeting people and kind of, because it was a mm. new world for me, really. Mm. So I went to literally everything. Like I was out every night at all these different kind of, I don't know, collection launches, functions, like cool stuff, boring stuff, everything I went to. And I just really, I fell in love with the people in jewellery first, I think. Before Did you? I fell for jewellery 
itself. So it's funny because you're probably the most insider person mm. that I know insofar as that you kind of know everybody. And in the jewellery industry, as I see it, there's all these different compartments. So there's like the old school, you know, watch strap manufacturing sort of part of it, which is really quite old school. And then there's kind of Bond Street Lux, which is a whole nother thing. There's the Birmingham set. Then there's sort of arty type of jewellery. And then there's fashion jewellery. And then there's, I mean, there's just so many different things. And I don't really know many people in the jewellery world. Jewellers work in their little workshops, making their little things. And we don't get out much. Whereas you've sort of been around and seen everyone in all the different sectors. I find it quite a fragmented industry yeah. with different approaches. So sometimes the old school people have a different approach to some of the more younger incoming people. And For people outside it, depending on what your interests are, you see tiny parts of it as well. I think what I've been interested in is all parts of it. And because mm. I kind of got in it first, kind of being interested in people as opposed to the glamour, if you know what I mean, I didn't love diamonds mm. or, you know, big huge gems at first I found an interest in those now but you know I didn't go into it that route so I kind of very much started with the people and actually when you're journalist kind of starting out and it takes trust for people to speak to you I think mm. which is great that I have that now I think people will you know do sort of know me for many years and will trust me and speak to me but when you're starting out it's you know you don't just walk up to graph on Bond Street and knock on the door and say can I come and look at your vault please it's almost easier to kind of have those sort of first discussions with people who are strap manufacturers who are really excited that somebody has come to speak to yeah. them because nobody does and I think when I started Professional Jeweler Magazine I was really keen to make it very inclusive so the publisher was very much kind of hands off and let me sort of do what I wanted with it which was crazy on their part great on my part but I wanted to make sure it wasn't London centric so in terms of stories that I covered I was sort of made sure to try and find out what was happening in Leeds or Edinburgh or some yeah. kind of different places um, but also I really I didn't want it to be in any way elitist or snobby I wanted to give just as much sort of prominence to a watch strap maker who's just hired a new member of staff as I would if De Beers have opened a new office somewhere and hired a thousand staff. Like for me, I find that all interesting parts of it. And I think that's actually what people like in terms of reading it is, you know, they're quite interested in sort of some of the smaller stories sometimes more than the big sort of glossy yeah. ones. So I think something that, that I've sort of always railed against slightly was from my point of view, going to art school, it seemed to me that the jewellery that has been talked about and written about and, and had exhibitions of is either the incredibly expensive Russian Tsarina's jewels and the history of them, or it's been a ball of barbed wire with a feather in the middle of it hanging from the ceiling called neck piece number 157. And so it was like there was art jewellery good, incredibly expensive people's jewellery good, but all the stuff, I mean, I guess that's what this podcast is about, all the stuff in between has never seemed to me to have been taken very seriously or, or examined or valued. It's that bit in between where I work and where I live that I really love. And that's kind of what we've been talking about when we're doing this podcast series is, is actually just normal old proper jewellery that people wear, which is actually extraordinary. A lot of it's extraordinary, but it's still normal old stuff that people wear, if you see what I mean. Yeah. I haven't met anyone yet who's got, um, you know, the crown jewels of... Moratavia or somewhere, you know. I haven't um, opened my case yet. <laughs> so. It's quite a big case, isn't it? Have anything yeah.
that bombshell, should we have a look at your first piece? Yeah, I've got a few free to choose from. I'm just going to lay things out. You've got, by the way, I just want to tell our listener that mm -hmm. Rachel's got the most gorgeous jewellery on at the moment. These earrings are by Becca, who used to work for you. Oh, <laughs> and we love Becca. Yeah. yeah. I love, I absolutely love those earrings, and I did know that. Yeah, I've got a couple of pairs of Becca's earrings. I was going a trip to Vicenza, like a trade show, jewellery show in Italy, and my friend Catherine Bishop, who I used to work with, um, she had some of these earrings on, and I totally fell in love with them, went into her hotel room, stole them well borrowed them for the night and kind of wore them but yeah I just she Catherine's got great jewellery taste so I always kind of yeah. see what she's I'm always dipping in her jewellery box you've got really nice two layered necklaces on so there's yeah. a really interesting sort of boxy chain and a very fine chain I guess they're both 18 karat with letters love on so it just kind of looks really cool and nice and, and oh, so my sister works in jewellery does she? yeah it was my birthday a couple of days ago, so she gave me this little love neck. Happy birthday! Aww, Thank happy you. Happy birthday. <laughs> You're already ahead by having lovely pieces on. Yeah. But one. let's, for fun, let's look at those amazing earrings first. Could you describe them for me? So Rich? they are, how would I describe them? They are quite large and they look as if somebody has sort of taken maybe like a foil of gold and kind of let it curl up in the heat. So the edges are all furled and there's little rips in the surface as well. They're quite Grecian, I think, you know, they give me sort of like goddess vibes, I'm going to say. We're going to call them your goddess earrings. They're by a designer called Deborah Blythe who's in London. So they're silver and she plates them in 24 karat gold. So they have that real sort of kind of golden-y luster. Actually, um, she has bigger ones. There are sort of three of those connected, which, um, you know, Carol Walton yes. at Vogue. Yeah, she's got the bigger ones. I just went with the small ones. But Deborah has been doing our jewelry shows at the Joy Cut Live. So the last one we did in February 2020, just before the world ended, yeah, I bought those at the show just as a little sort of... I like to buy a piece of jewellery at the show just as kind of a reminder of what it is. And yeah. Yeah, and kind of, I don't know, sort of the hard work that's gone into it. And I really love Deborah. She's such a lovely woman. She's just brilliant. I haven't really met her, so... Oh, she's she's great. And she's just got all these jewels. And for me, she was quite exciting because I hadn't heard of her until she did the show, mm. which is... Um, I always love discovering sort of new people. Um, for our listener who's perhaps not in the trade or anything, mm. can they see and participate? Or oh, is yeah. because So they can come along and, and see the jewellery? Yeah, so this is, again, kind of, I think, going back to my sort of personal... I don't know, mission in jewellery really is to make it really inclusive. Mm. And whether that's writing about lots of different types of people who maybe wouldn't be written about. But also for me, it's about bringing people who think they don't like jewellery or don't feel they know enough about jewellery to go to a jewellery show or to mm. go to a jewellery shop to kind of create that sort of a non-intimidating environment. Yeah. So with the show, anybody can come. So we have people who just like jewellery, people who just want to shop, want to look around. But then we also have yeah more professional people like editors or store buyers or yeah. things like that. But yeah, it's set up very much as anybody who's got an interest in jewellery can come and just meet the designers and have a look around. There was a time where we used to do London Fashion Week and those kind of shows. Mm. And it was very much about just seeing professional buyers from shops and sort of keeping the public out and you'd take your orders at the shows and then you'd make the jewellery and send it off to all the shops around the UK or around the world and that's where people could see it but that's really changed now so buyers can buy online they don't have to come and visit shows and I guess buyers 
would do an awful lot on Instagram as well and, and find the brands yeah. that are happening. And so it's no good just turning up to a show and putting your jewelry out and hoping to just sell to buyers. You need to involve everyone. And so I guess that's just the way things are moving. Integrating press, professional mm-hmm. buyers and shoppers. shoppers all in the same thing to kind of engage with people wherever you can. Yeah, and I think for me as well, the kind of designers that do show at the moment are maybe sort of smaller brands who are just like a few years in or in very much independent brands. And for them, we try to make it sort of affordable for them to do a show, but then also they get loads of value out of it because for them, it'd be really expensive to go and do a trade show and they might only want to pick up two shops. So actually, if they can come somewhere where they can meet a buyer, but also sell some pieces at the show and then maybe meet a journalist that they've wanted yeah. to meet for a long time, like it just sort of ticks lots of boxes. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting because actually when I give talks and things, people quite often ask questions in terms of success. They'll say, how many people do you employ? Or, you know, it's all about size. And there's a sort of general perception that size is more successful or better. And I always kind of go, you need to measure success in terms of you doing what you want to do and being able to afford to do that and, and sort of pay the bills. So when you were talking about smaller designers, I don't see that a sort of a self-employed person working on their own. If they can make fantastic work and sell beautiful things to customers who love to own them and wear them, and they can pay their bills by doing that, that is just as successful as Tiffany or Cartier or anything. You know, it's all really, really valuable. I always think when I'm talking to people, there's like a real danger in thinking just because a name's known a bit more, you sort of think, wow, I want to get there, because that might not be the right route. And thank God for all the lovely, what we might call, don't even like calling them sort of smaller designers, because they're just little individual ones. Yeah. We were talking like why we love Brighton. It's because it's got all these gorgeous little independent shops. And that's what we love about Brighton. And if they all just became huge, great gaps or mango or whatever, you know, shops, it would just be boring. You know, we don't want that, do we? We want the independence to make all this fantastic work. Yeah, jewelry yeah. is like that. And I think maybe people don't realise that like, you were kind of talking about that space in the middle, which I think is the exciting space. But people know Cartier and Chopard, they know these kind of big brands, and then they know Pandora and H. Samuel, you know, what they can see on the high street. But in between, and as you know, because it is quite fragmented and everyone's working in their own little workshops all over the place and selling in different ways, there's just hundreds of really exciting, in my opinion, very cool designers, which through my job, I've been lucky to meet and learn about. But I think generally, you know, if I ask my friends, I mean, maybe my friends are probably really bored of my Instagram. They probably (laughs) probably do have a better knowledge now. But, you know, if you ask other people, they couldn't, you know, I think you're a good one. People would know you. But I think that's, you know, I don't think people know these kind of smaller designers at all, really. And it's a shame because there's lots of exciting people to be discovered. You're right. It's funny. So from my point of view, I'm never aware of that because I went to a boys' school. I have been to a reunion and... I've met up with all my old class friends and they're all talking about what they were doing now. And they said, so what do you do now, Alex? And I said, I make jewellery. And they literally said, no, 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 mate, what do you do for your for your living, for your job? And I said, <laughs> I said no, I make jewellery for my job. And they just looked really embarrassed and said, another pint, lads. And they all went off and got another pint. It was like, oh my God, this poor guy. You can imagine you so, at the market stall. Yeah, <laughs> like trying crystals together. <laughs> So I kind of inhabit a world where that doesn't happen. So I'm always quite surprised if anyone asks me to do anything or anyone says, oh, I know your jewelry. It's like, oh, that's really flattering. I think it's quite hard when you're on the inside to see how other people see you kind of thing. But the designers and jewelers that I love are the individual designers who are doing their art and craft because they really know what they're doing. They're like super 
super creative, they're super good at making things, they love to make jewellery that people wear, and that's what they're focusing on. They're not focusing on, I guess, like some of the bigger brands like Pandora, they're focusing on expansion or opening shops and other things, whereas these designers, like those earrings, they're just focusing on the jewellery and the people that are going to wear them. It's beautiful and clean and just exactly as it should be, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, super. I like them. I've got some more things. Wow. Also, okay, yeah. we're putting in a big stone ring down. Those are incredible. So Fake these hoops. Will you describe them? So they have kind of a traditional sort of gold hoop or half hoop at the top, but then it turns into kind of a horizontal bar, and from the horizontal bar, there's loads of chain, which is mostly rhodium plated silver, so it looks quite dark. But a few of the links in the chains are actually gold, and they've been selected in kind of like formation to form a hoop. So the idea is that they're kind of like fake hoops, really, sort of like you can Who see where they could be. Um, it's a jewellery designer called Elena Lara. I met her um, at the Gold Smith Centre. Yeah, she does fake pearl necklaces as well. So she kind of does the same, but with sort of, I think it's silver or white gold in pearl shapes. But it's all chain, and she kind of uses it to paint pictures, basically. These are gorgeous. Can you finish? I kind of feel like we, we need a... <laughs> We almost need a little clip of moving film because you can't quite believe how clever she is to get this continuous hoop when it's not, when the continuous hoop is actually half of it's drawn in the chain rather than, well, I'll leave that for you to photograph. These are amazing. I cannot remember which initiative it was, whether it was Shine or something like that, but the the Goldsmith Centre do loads of sort of new talent initiatives, which I like to go along and have a look at. And she was part of that and I just saw them and I just thought it's such a cool concept and so different to anything that I'd seen before, which, you know, you guys know sort of in jewellery, there's lots of kind of common themes and repetitions. I suppose that's when you judge what you're looking for. Uh, That's why so often young people are so inspiring because you're looking for this cookie, unspoiled, off-the-wall approach to things that comes perhaps with sort of naivety or new eyes. And so I was just saying before, we just did a project with the NHA and these are all young jewellery designers and it's just so exciting to see how they approach a problem. And that's what you're kind of after when you do these things, isn't it? That excitement of, oh my God, what have they done? They've done... I mean, that's just so brilliant. It's just so exciting to see, isn't it, these years? Yeah, and I'm not a great technical judge because I'm not a maker so I mean sometimes when I'm kind of doing judging with other people you know somebody will look at I don't know like something really plain and lose their minds over it because it's been done to an amazing sort of level of craftsmanship whereas for me I just want to see something that I haven't seen before and I can almost make quite a quick snap decision because I spend my day sort of looking at lots of things but there was another there was another designer I don't know if it was in the same showcase as Elena but she's called Holly O'Hanlon I don't know if you've come across her I'm just so bad with names there's some great names that you've said yeah (laughs) they sound like Hollywood film stars don't they yeah she makes rings that you know those cable ties yeah they look like cable ties but she actually does them in gold and silver but as rings so they just really yeah so just it's interesting to see fun things like that yeah it's great it's really it's really fun one of my favorite designers um in the old days was a company called Yoseliani at paris fashion week and they did lots of chain together like that 
and they would kind of dip diet so it would go from gold through silver to black yeah and they were really cool so that was a really nice use of chain and dyeing and plating chain but these i've never seen anything like this and, and i think just they would just wear amazingly well and yeah, you just look brilliant in them. i'm obsessed with these feel free to try them on i've cleaned everything this morning so aren't people now. aren't people oh, clever hang on we've now got like Sorry, like so much more jewelry i'm stopping now um no this is great i kind of think we should just photograph for people these original earrings that you were wearing because i love them so much these ones are all i love that shape pirate earrings i like to think of them as yeah <laughs> These delicious pearls. I don't know about pearls. Do you know anything about pearls? And do you know what sort of yeah, pearls they are? A little bit. Yeah, so they're Baroque pearls, which seems to be a name that you just give to any old pearls that are weird shaped. Slightly misshapen. Yeah, which are kind of, I suppose, as pearls have become cool again, everyone's opting for Baroque pearls, maybe rather than those sort of super perfect yeah. round pearls. Yeah. But yeah, I think those ones have got a particularly nice luster to them, I think. Yeah. They look really good on, on the camera as well. <laughs> <laughs> So we're photographing those earrings that we first saw. And basically what they are, they look like a kind of old coin. They're three parts hanging earrings. There's this kind of old coin top bit. And then a kind of bone, but it looks a bit like a dog bone. That's what I think, yeah. dog bone <laughs> in the middle. And then this beautiful baroque pearl hanging off the bottom. And just remind me where you got those from. So those are Becca. Yeah. So was she doing jewellery cuts or anything like that? Or just, she you know. sent them to me, actually. So after, oh, after nice I stole, Becca. I know it's great, after I stole Catherine's earrings and we'd had a few drinks and we'd locked ourselves outside the hotel next to a swimming pool and nearly had to swim back in through one of those indoor-outdoor Wow, session. that would have been exciting. I know. You know Were you in I your swimmers though? Absolutely not. No. no. But I kind of I kind of wanted that, but Catherine just banged <laughs> on the window for a little bit longer and eventually somebody walked through because we were clearly in some sort of part of it we weren't supposed to be. But I took a photo wearing the earrings and I think I put it on Instagram just, just showing off basically stealing Catherine's jewellery and Becca messaged me and she's like, I'm going to send you some. I was like, yes! Oh, brilliant. Yeah, she sent me a couple of pairs um, of the earrings. But I've just never had them off since. I just I wear them all the time and I get sort of comments on them every time that I do wear them. That is what you want out of a piece of jewellery yeah. is just never take them off. Some of this jewellery and uh, a lot of the jewellery we make is silver with a gold plate on. Mm -hmm. So we have people come back and they say, I literally haven't taken this off in three years and the gold plate's wearing off. Yeah. And you have to kind of go, do you wear this when you go swimming in the sea? Do you wear it in the swimming pool? Do you wear it in the bath, in the shower? When you put your perfume on, it's like, yeah, no gold plate That's is going to survive. No, it's my ring it. started off gold and now I never take them off ever. Again, a nice thing about the designer maker is that you can take it back and say, could you re- plate these for me and get yeah. them all fixed up so I think that's yeah, it's a really important easy thing to, yeah, it's usually up again, sometimes yeah. I'm a little bit cynical <laughs> about some companies some of the larger companies when I know that it's kind of made overseas and they say that they repair but you kind of think well, I don't think you do I think you replace rather yeah. than repair and I think what's really important for us is if you have a beautiful piece of jewellery that might have been given to you by someone that you love or it means something you do actually want that piece of jewellery back because it's it's got some importance and that's quite a problem when you do repairs because if you're getting all these pieces in and when they go in the gold plating tank for example they all go in together but you have to remember whose was whose and you might have two of the same pieces so you have to find a way of labeling them and it's all quite time consuming so mm. i can see that but a nice individual handmaker you can get anything redone can't you yeah
like these um, stones. Mm. So when I saw Rachel, she had a lovely ring on your right hand, I yeah. think. And it's just really cookie because it's quite a simple um, gold shank. And then there are square settings, all at kind of cookie angles. Well, one of them is rectangle. And the stones in those settings aren't rub over, which means that they sort of sit in the whole setting and the edges of the setting are rubbed over the top of the stone. What happens is inside each of the settings, there's a claw setting, which just makes it a little bit more kind of kooky. And the claw setting isn't clawing onto a round stone, it's clawing onto a square stone. But anyway, it makes it like feel like a jumble of boxes um, mm. sort of balancing on top of each other. But the colours are great. So there's the beautiful deep blue um, sapphire and a, a, a really nice... The colour of the emerald is fantastic. Mm. And then a lovely rectangular shaped diamond there. I get. Where did you get that ring? So I got it from an American designer called Suzanne Kalan. Okay. Which... I'm going to Google all these people. <laughs> I'm so rubbish, aren't I? This is good. This is the fun thing. <laughs> Discover new designer. But she, she sort of became, I mean, I say she became quite famous. But in my mind, all jewellery designers are famous, you know. But then if I mention them <laughs> to somebody who doesn't know anything about jewellery, maybe they haven't become famous. You're quite right. Because if you met someone in a pub and said, name your top five jewellers, they'd probably say Tiffany, that, that would be it or something. You know? Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Rubbish. But I don't think jewellers are famous by their very nature, but yes, go on. Suzanne made her name, we'll say, sort of in the jewellery world by going for baguette-cut diamonds, so like the last one on yeah. the end. Um, but at a time, I think she started out maybe in like the 80s or 90s, when they really weren't popular at yeah. all. I think the collection that sort of made her, again, jewellery famous, we'll call it. I like that. Jewellery famous. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm going to be jewellery famous. I'm not famous any other way, but jewellery famous, I'll, have, I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so she made her name with this fireworks collection that kind of takes these little baguette diamonds and sort of bands them around but all at different angles so yeah. she makes these crazy bangles just all these sort of tiny baguette diamonds and they're very cool so yeah she made that but it's funny with this ring because I got it not for any sort of special reason but it's developed quite an emotional story for me after the fact nice which like, I didn't intend it to at all but um yeah three women in my life sort of died quite close together and for me there's something about those stones that just really echoes each of their personalities I don't know it just suddenly it just makes me think of them so like the little so my great aunt Iris she died and she was a tiny very sparky feisty Scottish woman with grey hair and for me that little diamond is just her you know nothing too flashy but you know just kind of yeah just really sort of sparky and then my grandmother who is yeah she was like my best friend so very close to her yeah she passed away as well and that emerald I don't know why but again it's just like she had a very cheeky twinkle in her eye also I don't know if this is a running theme in my family but um, (laughs) yeah that makes me think of her and then yeah sort of really sadly last year my mother-in-law died as well yeah quite unexpectedly so and but that blue sapphire just really makes me think of her as well and again completely not done for but they're also kind of like in the stones are in the order in which I suppose yeah. if you go like one way to the other which yeah they sort of all kind of um, yeah sort of lost them so it's really it's almost like a story kind of developed after the fact that's you know? so but, lovely because I think that's the first piece of jewellery that we've talked about that has developed after the fact rather than been bought before or because of or inherited by or whatever. So that's really cute. And that's well, I think that's really interesting. It looks so different now that you've explained it. It really does, doesn't it? Yeah. 
What I liked about it was the fact that the squares were all these sort of jointy angles. So they're all obviously independent. So I can see that they, they, these three kind of independent women, you know, they're, they're not all one thing, are they? They're, they're all doing their own thing there. Well, probably like you, what I liked about it when I saw you when we came in today was it's just a really pretty ring. Yeah. Or it's kind of fun. Yeah, it's, it's fun. It's, it started out as fun. I liked it because it was fun and colourful, playful. Yeah. And I love. I do love like a quirky take on a setting as well, which I think that kind of, you know, it sort of pokes fun a little bit in that kind of traditional settings. But yeah, it's just absolutely morphed into something but more how special. Things, how things take on these meanings, it's like a sort of magic portal. You know, if you have an object, you can kind of hold it or twiddle it on your finger or, or whatever, and it can transport you back to that memory. But you kind of almost need it as a little catalyst somehow. And without that, those connections can be harder, can't they? Yeah. That's beautiful. That's the lovely story, that is. I love it. Great. We've got to look at blue ring. I've been looking at that all the time. This has I, absolutely what? no sentimental value at all. It's purely for fun. <laughs> nice. It's, it is so weird because I was trying to make head or tail of it. Obviously, it's nice gold. What's the stone in there? So it's a topaz. The topaz. The stone. So it's kind of like a snake. It's this kind of cornflower blue and a sort of plasticky enameled cornflower blue. And then the snake's head looks a bit like the um, underside of a of an iron that you iron it closed with is that sort of shape you know pear shaped like a cartoon snake um, like a cartoon snake mm. but it's really pretty and I think blue kind of go with your colouring because it kind yeah. of goes with the eyes and things but where why what how <laughs> so <laughs> this tell is, us yeah. you've got a photograph of that because that is yeah, so that cookie. do you know what it could almost be like the blue bit you know sometimes like if you have a spare bit of electrical wire or something and I'm always fiddling and I wrap it around my finger it, it, it kind of doesn't look like jewellery colour or material, the, the shank. That's so funny. But it's so this cute. Is, this is my favourite one so far. Yeah, I love it. Go on, try on. Yeah, lot. go for it. You sure? Yeah, it's not, oh my it's God, not. try on anything you want. Yeah, absolutely. So fun. It's interesting you say a snake, because I've never really thought that, but now you say it's completely obvious. But it's, <laughs> it's supposed to just be a wild squiggle, and it's like a silver ring with blue enamel over the top, or lacquer. I'm never quite sure if there's actually any difference I imagine somehow that that covering must have some sort of elasticity to it, because the ring doesn't join up at the head, so it, it would have a little bit of bend on it and I wonder whether if it was a glass enamel whether that would fracture or something I don't know I can ask the question but yeah then it goes and it's got yeah a little topaz at the end of the squiggle which is in a little gold setting but it's by a, an Italian jeweller called B. Bongiasca which I'm really sorry B if I pronounced your last name wrong but she's really cool I first saw her like a few years ago at Vicenza Joy Show in Italy mm. where she was kind of part of this sort of new talent initiative that they have and again kind of talking of when you're looking for something that's completely different I spend a lot of time at trade shows and I'm quite diligent so I try to sort of walk every single aisle yeah. and eventually you just kind of glaze over but then I got to yeah. be stand Jewelry and blind. it just yeah Joy famous Joy blind <laughs> um, bee stand it's just an absolute explosion of color and just all these crazy shapes and she's a really interesting fun character as well she's really young she's in her 20s and she wanted to make fine jewelry for people her own age that was just really you know there for a good time basically yeah. which is sort of what it makes me think of and i think she launched that in 2018 that collection which i think she got kind of some good press off it and some good interest and buyers but really sort of in the last year i think with this whole colorful jewelry trend and everybody's going crazy for sort of neon enamels and things like that. She's just exploded. I think she was obviously a bit of an early... Pioneer. Pioneer, yeah. yeah. I love this because I feel like, like certainly yeah. I've got quite a list 
of people to Google. I'm so excited. It's going to be really fun, isn't it? And so hopefully to our listener, if you get time, if you're out and about when you get home, we'll put all the links to everyone to make it a bit easier for you. But there's some really fun designers to Google and it's incredibly diverse. I think, Rachel, because we've probably taken up plenty of your time, we'll put every link that we can and we'll put a link to the jewellery cut on there because they really should see that to all the pieces of jewellery. So we've got a nice, lovely sentimental ring, which has the coloured stones in, which is just kind of kooky and fun. Some of these earrings, they look slightly Grecian. There's something slightly sort of classic about them, although they're really contemporary and modern. So there's a kind of cross between pirate and Grecian there. And then these chain earrings, I think I kind of like these best because it's such a simple but incredibly beautiful design solution to make earrings that have got movement and everything. So I just think there's a brilliant, brilliant selection of jewellery there. And just to say to the listener, in the background, you probably heard seagulls and storms because we are in Brighton and I think we're about to get blown away because it's just incredibly stormy. But um, Rachel, just to round up, thank you so much for taking time. Um, thank you for coming down to Brighton. It's very exciting to well, have you down. Who would <laughs> want a trip to Brighton on a Friday? So that's kind of me for the week now. So Brilliant. We're going to get some crap. And we've got your friend who you work next to. It's a restaurant recommender. I really wanted to go to the vegan sushi place. Happy Monkey. But you oh, kind of take it down to the beach. No, I haven't been it's, there. It wouldn't be happy, Maggie. <laughs> today, it would be... be sad, Maggie, on the beach today. <laughs> so <are> you, Maggie. <laughs> Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you'd like to see some of the pieces we've been talking about, please check out our website and follow the links to the podcast page. You'll also find information on how to share your own stories, give a bit of feedback, or have a look at all the jewellery-related things I've been up to recently. We've also got some great jewellery-making tutorials on our YouTube channel. There's lots to see. Just go to www.alexmonroe.com.